Let's read together from Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Going to read from the King James Version today. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, now this scripture will not be up on the screen because it is a rather lengthy portion, so um, if you don't have your Bible with you, just listen very carefully. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, Micah 5 and 2, verse 6. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee, out of Bethlehem, shall come a governor, capital G, that shall rule my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. But Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. Verse 9. When they had heard the king, these wise men, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that this was actually later in the life of Jesus and not at the birth of Jesus, and I don't know if that messes your whole story up, but Jesus was uh, actually a toddler at this time. But it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Verse 11, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Notice this. And they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now this story in Matthew chapter 12 gives us a lot, or Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 gives us a lot of good information, but there's a lot of things that this story doesn't tell us. First of all, this story doesn't tell us how many wise men there were. You say, no, 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 there were three. No, it says they brought three kinds of gifts. But it really doesn't tell us how many wise men there were. 
Uh, there may have been three, but the Bible doesn't say specifically. In most pictures you see, I believe even in the pictures of the um, um, slides today, you see little camels down here. Well, we don't know if they were riding on camels because the Bible doesn't say they were riding on camels. Some scholars say they were riding on Arabian horses. But again, the Bible doesn't say, and we really don't know. We also don't know where they came from. We don't know what country they came from. Now, if you study the scriptures, it's most likely they came from Babylon, but again, the Bible doesn't give us that information, so again, we really don't know for sure. There are many things about these wise men we do not know, but listen, evidently we don't have to know it because if we had had to know it, had we had to know it, then the Bible would have included these specifics, but we do know this about them, they were wise men. Because the Bible is very clear about that. They were wise men. The Bible word for wise men is magi. They were magi. Now magi were men who were students of the scriptures. At that time, of course, the Old Testament scriptures, the writings of the prophets. They were students of prophecy. They were actually astronomers. And they were students of the stars in the sky. Most likely, if they were from Babylon, there's a good possibility that they were students of the prophet Daniel. How about that? Because we know Daniel spent a lot of time in Babylon, and he was known as a great prophet, and he was known as a great teacher, and he was known as a very wise man. There's something else we don't know. And that is exactly what this star was. What was this star? So I read some secular writers who were, I, I just love it when unbelievers try to explain the Bible, don't you? And so they said, um, they said, well, it was a supernova. Now, back in the 70s, I had a friend that had a nice nova. <laughs> who's, who's with me out there? Who remembers those days? Three-speed, 354-barrel carburetor with a cam, you know, that full cam. Anyway, uh, so astronomers uh, say that it was a supernova, some of them. Uh, uh, some, some say that it was a rare alignment of all the planets creating this incredible brilliance and brightness. <laughs> well, just can I tell y'all that that's impossible? Because it was moving. Around, it's moving around. It led these magi. So somebody goes, all right, then it was a comet. Some, they must have been on Arabian horses if it was a comet. So funny to listen to them try to explain what it was. It couldn't have been a comet. A comet just flashes across the sky and it's gone. I don't know of any comets that just hang around for months leading men 300 miles from Babylon or wherever it was from the east uh, when they first saw it. So the explanations of the unbelieving are wrong. So what was this star? Well, I've got an idea of what it was. I want to just share that with you and then I challenge you to go home and do your own study. Study reveals that the word star had a number of meanings in the Bible. The word for star comes from a root word that just simply means Literally, 
a brilliance or a bright light. Most likely, this brilliance, this aura, this bright source in the sky was the Shekinah glory of God. When you think about it, that makes perfect sense because the Shekinah glory of God had already led people in the Old Testament. The Shekinah glory of God had revealed in the Old Testament and led people there. For example, what led the children of Israel through the wilderness? A pillar of fire by night and a pillar of a cloud by day. That's in Exodus 13, 21. It was called, again, the Shekinah glory of God. It was a revelation of God. It was a physical manifestation of the glory and the presence of God. And of course, this glory could move, and it did move, guiding them through the wilderness. And then we leave Exodus, and we go over to 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 12, and we find Solomon, uh, David's son, dedicating the temple. And what happened there? During the dedication of the temple, the Shekinah glory of God came. It was visible. You could see it. Believer and unbeliever alike could see this manifestation, this aura, this brilliance as it came into the Holy of Holies. And before the Babylonians invaded Israel, Ezekiel talked about the Shekinah glory of God and how it departed from the temple in Ezekiel 10 and 18. By the way, I provided notes for you guys today. And if you don't use them for any other reason, they can help you know when I'm coming in for a landing and give you hope. (laughs) Christmas is all about hope, amen? So we're already like four inches down. In Ezekiel 10, he wrote of the glory of God and how the glory, listen to this, this is beautiful, how the glory of God came out of the holy of holies to the threshold of the temple. And then later on, this this aura, this brilliance, this glory moved from the threshold of the temple to the eastern gate. Ezekiel saw it. Anybody could see it. He saw this glory of God, this this brilliance of God as it moved on to the Mount of Olives, to the top of the mount, and then he watched it as it just rose into the sky and disappeared. Here's what I'm pointing out to you today. Before the star guided the Magi, before the star showed up in Matthew chapter 2 in the New Testament, that same glory that same Shekinah glory, that same visible manifestation, that brilliant light showed up in the Old Testament on several occasions, moving around at the bidding of God. And then surrounding the birth of Jesus, there was not only the wise men, but there were those shepherds. And where were they? Abiding in the field. They were in the field there guarding their flock by night, the Bible tells us. And suddenly, the glory of God shone around them. And it came right over where the young child lay, giving clear direction. Look at Luke 2, 2, 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Here it is. 
And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very sore afraid. Now there may be some things about the Christmas story, about these details surrounding the birth of Jesus that we don't know. But we all know what we need to know. Because if it was required that we know more than the Bible would have told us. But again, we do know this. These men were exceedingly wise men. Now, I want you to listen carefully. How do we know they were wise men? For two reasons. Because the Bible tells us they were wise men and because they sought Jesus so that they might worship Jesus. What made them wise? They were wise because they were students. They were students of the scriptures. They were students of the prophets. They were, they were astronomers. They studied the stars. They were wise men in that sense, but they were wise men because of their actions. They sought Jesus that they might worship him. The wisest thing anybody can do at Christmas or any other time of the year is seek Jesus for the purpose of worshiping him. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. And it applies to people sitting right here in this service this morning. People want the joys of Christmas without the worship of Jesus. People want the joys of Christmas without the worship of Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning that that's impossible. You say, oh, I love Christmas time. Now, I didn't say you wouldn't have some little sentimental fuzzies, you know, sentimental feelings, and have a little holiday happiness. I mean, Andy Williams, you know, it's the holiday season, yeah. I mean, we all like that, but that's temporary. Here's what I'm saying to you today, and you can do whatever you want to with this. You don't have to respond to this in any way today. It's totally up to you. I hope you will, but you will never know true joy of Christmas until you do what the wise men did and begin to seek out the Lord Jesus for the purpose of bowing down before him and worshiping him. I want you to notice that these men came to worship Jesus in spite of great difficulty. They had a lot of barriers, a lot of difficulty. Number one, they faced a long journey. A long journey, it, it was a, a, a long distance. More than likely, they did come from Babylon. If they did, the scripture says the wise men from the east, and when you look at your map, it looks like they did come from Babylon. That was about 300 miles away. i got to tell you something, man. I'm at that age now where a 300-mile trip in a nice car will wear you out. Isn't that the truth? What about a 300-mile trip on a camel? Mm. you'd probably stand for several days after that trip. 300-mile trip on a horse. or they, they, These guys may have been walking. Can you ma imagine a 300-mile trip back in that day? But they didn't, listen, they did not let that stop them from finding Jesus and worshiping Jesus. The next thing I thought about was the rugged terrain, the discomfort. There were no planes, there were no trains, there was no automobiles, there was no John Candy or Steve Martin. 
None of them. Some of y'all don't get that joke, which shows your uncoolness. <laughs> there were no motels. It was just rugged terrain. Think about how rough this journey was. I'm always amused at what keeps people out of church. Dedicated men of God. It's raining. Are you a man? Yes, I am. You going to church? No. Why? It's rainy. It's cold. One morning, uh, Sunday morning, real early, me and Millie were laying in the bed and talking, getting ready to get up and go to church, and uh, I heard a clap of thunder. And I said, honey, did you hear that? She said, what? I said, 10,000 Christians in Wayne County just turned over and went back to sleep. These wise men were determined to find Jesus. You have to be determined. They were determined to worship Jesus. They came in spite of the difficulty of distance, in spite of the difficulty of discomfort, but that wasn't all. They were, they were under threat. Their lives were under threat. They came in spite of danger. King Herod. King Herod was, you, you talk about you know, we, we say, man, it's, it's the worst it's ever been. People are meaner today and more evil than they've ever been. I challenge that. Go back and study King Herod. Let me just tell you a few things about him. King Herod said to them, I want you to go find Jesus, and when you find him, I want you to come back and tell me where he is so that I too might worship him. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. As a matter of fact, King Herod wanted to kill Jesus so bad that he sent out a decree that all male babies, two years old and younger, were to be killed. That's not a fairy tale. That's history. Can you imagine the horror of that event? This sadistic, demon-possessed, maniac, have the gall to say, when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him. You see, he had already killed a couple of his wives and three of his sons. Now, I know you've all wanted to kill your children, but that's different. <laughs> Somebody said, when you become a grandparent, it reminds you of why you didn't kill your other children when they were in your home with you. I won't tell you how evil Herod was. Y'all with me out there? Herod was so evil and so hated that he made a list of prominent citizens that were to be killed on the day he died so that he would make sure there would be some people crying that day. That's not a, that's, that's true. He said, on the day I die, I want all these people right here killed because they are loved and I want you to keep, because I want to make sure on the day I die, people are crying. Because if I die and nobody else dies, there probably will be dancing in the streets. That's the kind of man Herod was. Here's what I want to say to you today. With all your excuses, in spite of 300-mile trip on rough terrain, facing the threat of murder, 
these wise men found Jesus and worshipped him. They found Jesus and worshipped him. Can I ask you a question this morning? Does finding Jesus and worshiping Jesus mean that much to you on this Sunday before Christmas? Does finding Jesus mean that much to you? Does worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus, does it mean that much to you? Or do you have sort of a take it or leave it attitude? And while I've been preaching this morning, you've been thinking about all you got to do today when you leave and all the activities you got planned for next week. I want you to stop for a moment and think about the true purpose of Christmas and what we're celebrating and what we're singing about and what I'm preaching about. I'm asking you a question this morning. They came to Jesus, they worshiped Jesus in spite of the distance, in spite of the danger, in spite of the rough terrain and the discomfort. They found Jesus and worshiped him. And I'm asking you this morning, is Jesus that important to you? Finding him, worshiping him. Or you, do you sort of have a take it or leave it attitude? The Bible says in Jeremiah 29 and 13, I think I have the wrong reference in your scriptures. It is. It's Jeremiah 29, 13, not 23. That's my mistake. Look what it says there in the middle of your notes. It says, you shall seek for him and you shall find him when you what? Seek for him with your whole heart, all your heart. May God have mercy on our half-hearted worship. May God in heaven have mercy on us for our half-hearted worship. If Jesus is worth anything, he is worth everything. The word worship comes from two words, worth-ship. What is he worth to you? Do you remember when the woman came and broke the alabaster box of perfume and poured it all over Jesus and then let her hair down and took her hair like a towel and just bathed Jesus in this very expensive perfume. It was worth about 300 pence. Back in that day, a person made about one pence a day. So it was almost a whole year's wages that she broke open and poured it on Jesus and let her hair down and took her hair and just wiped that perfume all over Jesus. I... I would imagine there was some talk going on. Can you believe what she did to the preacher? <laughs> and somebody said, why was this waste of the ointment made? But to Mary, it wasn't a waste because she believed Jesus was worth all of that ointment. How much is he worth to you this morning? The biggest cult in America is the cult of the comfortable. The cult of the comfortable. We talk about cults and religions. And we talk about how terrible they are. I believe the biggest cult in America today is the cult of the comfortable. We just want to take it easy. We don't want to get intense about anything, especially religion, man. How did the wise men seek him? They sought him with determination. They sought him with passion. In spite of the distance, the discomfort, the danger, they found Jesus and they worshiped him. Now I want to close with this. Now, I want to talk to you all about what it means when I say I'm going to close. 
tell those of you who are from the bridge, tell our visitors what that means. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But it gives you, and Christmas is all about hope. <laughs> I want you to notice two things, seriously, in closing. I want you to notice two things with me. Number one, I want you to notice how they sought him and what they brought him. I want you to notice how they sought him and what they brought him. Let's look at how they sought him. Three things under that. First of all, they sought him through the ministry of the Spirit. Now, this is very important because the Bible says there's none who seeks the Lord. So then why were they seeking the Lord? Listen to me. The Holy Spirit put that longing in their heart. The Holy Spirit put that longing in their heart. It was the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit that dealt with them. And I've got many scripture references down there for you to read and to look at when you get home. I'm not going to go through all those this morning. I hope you'll go home and do study. That's why I provided you with this sheet. But I'm telling you, the Spirit is leading some of you right now this morning. Because there's nothing in you that desires the Lord. There's nothing in man that desires the Lord. But the Holy Spirit puts it in you as the Holy Spirit put it into these wise men to seek the Lord and worship him. The Holy Spirit will put in you that desire. The next thing I want you to notice is not only the ministry of the Spirit that brought them to Jesus, but the message of the Scripture. The message of the Scripture. The Scripture spoke to them. It says it in Matthew 2, 2 through 6, and I'm not going to read all these. In, Malachi, in Micah 5 and 2, in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, here's my point. These people read the Bible. They read the Bible, and so God spoke to them through the Spirit, and he also spoke to them through the written Word of God. And I hear from people all the time who say, how do I hear from God? I want to hear from God. God doesn't ever say anything to me. And I just kind of want to go, what's your Bible study life like? What's your prayer life like? You know, sometimes in our prayer time, we need to read the Bible. That's God talking to us. We pray. That's us talking to God. But then there's a third part of your, medita- of your, uh, of your uh, devotional life, and that's meditation, where you just hush. That's a southern thing right there. Where you just get quiet. You read the Bible, God talks to you, you pray, you talk to God, and then just be quiet. Don't be in a hurry. You say, but i got to get to work. Get up a little earlier. Get up a little earlier and give yourself a little more time. Let God minister to you and speak to you. He spoke to these men from the Bible. He spoke to these men through the, through the Spirit. And then finally, the miracle of the star. How about that? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, you're saying, well, I mean, if there's a star, and I see a star, I mean, I see the Shekinah glory, I'll give my heart to God then, I'll follow God then, I'll be a great Christian then. I mean, he gave them a, a, a visible sign. You know what I believe? I believe when you set your heart to know God, he will send you your star. It might be a person. It might be a song, it might be a video, it might be a sermon, it might be a family member, it might be a friend. 
I often hear people go, I, I tell you, I don't all this stuff you Christians talk about, you see, I don't ever see God. I can't find God. I told somebody, some people can't find God the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. Because <laughs> they don't want to. I'm telling you, these men sought him because of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you of a scripture I used last week where Jesus said to Pilate, right before Jesus crucified and hung on the cross, he said to Pilate, anybody who wants to know the truth about me, Jesus said, I'll speak to that person. That's a promise. And look, when Jesus made that promise, there wasn't two paragraphs of fine print under there. I love some of these ads you see in the newspaper. You can get this for this low price. Then there's two paragraphs. And one of them, in that paragraph, you have to be able to levitate off the ground. <laughs> but if you can do it, you can get this great price. God doesn't have disclaimers. God doesn't put fine print under his promises. When God makes a promise, it stands. And he wants you to stand on his promises. And he says, if you want to know the truth, sincerely, really, he said, you begin to pray, you begin to read your Bible, you begin to look for me, you begin to call on my name, and I mean, even if your prayer is God, if you're really there, if you're really there, that's, a good, that's all right, God, God likes that prayer. He said, I'll show myself to you. But I want you to look finally at what they brought him. Because the Bible says they brought him three things. The Magi, Matthew 2, 11, tells us that the Magi brought the Messiah gold and Frankenstein and myrrh. Just seeing if you are listening. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, is that just incidental? I mean, were they at um, Walmarteth and said, I'm going to get him some frankincense. I know he'll love it. No. It's not incidental. It's fundamental. Let me tell you why they gave him gold. They gave him gold because gold speaks of sovereign dominion. Sovereign dominion. You see, in Matthew 2, 2, he is called in the Christmas story, Matthew 2, chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, he is called a king. He wasn't just a baby. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good prophet like, you know, these... Um, False witnesses who come and knock on your door and want to come into your house and talk to you. All you've got to ask them, when they come into your house, if you're going to let them in your house, all you have to ask them is one question. Do you worship Jesus? Well, well, uh, what we believe is that Jesus was a good person. No, 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 no. Do you worship Jesus? That's the question that messes them up every time because they don't believe Jesus is God, so therefore they don't worship Jesus because it's wrong to worship anybody other than the true and living God. Y'all with me out there? So in Matthew 2, 2, he's called a king. In Matthew 2, 6, he's called a governor, which means ruler, and it says he will rule my people Israel. These wise men knew he was a king. That's why they gave him gold. The scripture tells us he's a king in Daniel 9.25, Isaiah 9.7, Luke 1.33, and again, Matthew 22.21. Can I ask you a question? Have you crowned him king of your life? Have you crowned Jesus the king of your life? 
Let me ask you something. Have you taken the crown off your head and put the crown on his head? Like the wise men in our story, have you surrendered your gold to him and bowed your knee to him? Listen carefully. Don't let anything distract you. Listen to me. When self is on the throne, God is on the cross. Jesus is on the cross. When Jesus is on the throne, self is on the cross. When you, when you are on the throne, everybody's got a throne in their heart. What's on that throne? When you're on that throne, then you put Jesus on the cross. When you let Jesus take his rightful place on that throne, then you put yourself on the cross and you die to self that you might live for him. These men were wise because they recognized that this baby was a king. He was a king with sovereign dominion, so they brought gold to him. The second thing they brought him was frankincense. Frankincense speaks of the sinless deity of Jesus. Frankincense says to us that Jesus was God. And not only Jesus was God, but Jesus is God and Jesus will forever be God. Frankincense is one of the ingredients in a sweet perfume. I want you to get this. Frankincense is one of the ingredients in a sweet perfume that was used in the mobile tabernacle as well as the permanent temple for one purpose. You could only use frankincense for one thing, one thing. You could not use frankincense for a lot of other different things. It is very clear in the book of Exodus chapter 30 and verse 37 that you could only use frankincense in the worship of God. You could not use frankincense any other way, only in the worship of God. So Matthew 2.11 tells us that the Magi fell down and worshipped him. Now if Jesus was not God, then these so-called wise men just committed the sin of blasphemy because they bowed down if Jesus wasn't God and they worshipped just a man. And if you do that, that's blasphemy. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Jesus will forever be God. In Revelation 19 and 10, the Bible tells us the story of John the Revelator who started to bow down and worship an angel. And that angel said, no, don't worship me. If you worship me, we're going to both be in trouble. You'll be in trouble for worshiping somebody other than God, and I'll be in trouble for letting you do it. That's the Pharaoh Hardison version of that verse. What sets Christianity apart from every other religion? Why do they hate us so much? Why do they hate us so much? You know why they hate us so much? Because we're the only religion that says Jesus is God. Every other religion says Jesus was a good man or a good prophet or a good teacher. Let me say this to you about Jesus. Jesus was either who he said he was, Lord. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the... Acts 4 and 12 says, there is no other name given among men under the stars in heaven. There is no other name that a man can be saved and go to heaven except the name of... I know that's too narrow for some of you. I know that. 
But I'm telling you that Christianity is hated because we see Jesus as God. 1 Timothy 3.16 and many other scriptures. There's a Christmas song that says, what child is this? What child is this? Well, let's let Isaiah answer that question. In chapter 9 and verse 6 of that old book, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. They gave him gold, they gave him frankincense, and they gave him myrrh. Now what is myrrh? Myrrh speaks of his sacrificial death. When Jesus was suffering in pain on the cross, in agony, being tortured on the cross for our sins just before he died, it tells us in Mark 15, 23 that they offered him myrrh. When they would bury the dead, and I'm sure when Jesus was entombed, one of the bitter spices they used for embalming the dead was myrrh. So why would you bring something like myrrh to a little baby? I mean, myrrh was all about death. Myrrh was all about embalming. Myrrh was all about dying. I'll tell you why they brought him myrrh, because these wise men understood that this baby was born to die. This baby was born to die on the cross, John 10, 18. So this morning, the Holy Spirit is here. The Word of God has been delivered. And I'm going to ask you the question Pilate asked of the people when they stood in front of him as he was trying Jesus. Pilate said, what am I going to do with this man called Jesus? You may not ever come back to our church again. This may be a little bit too strong for you, what I've been preaching here today. But I want to confront you with him for just a moment because I love you. What are you going to do with Jesus? It's the most important question you will ever answer. Because what you do with Jesus will determine what God does with you.